Alrighty, that is a great way to intro the Flow Track podcast coming to you on a Thursday from Austin, Texas. Uh, that's a little Fat Joe featuring Nelly, mostly Nelly though. I don't really care about the Fat Joe part. Uh, big Nelly guy myself from Missouri. But uh, Lincoln here, I'm joined by Taylor Dutch. Gordon, uh, who knows where he is? Just kidding. He's he's hiding somewhere in his in the deep hole of his apartment doing something. Uh, but happy to come to you. It is a there's a lot going on right now in track and field, it feels like. From all corners of everything, we've got NCAA surprises. We've got uh, doping, which is a, like a weekly thing. Or it, you know, we missed it for a couple weeks. It's back, though. It's, that's good to have it back. really go away. <laughs> doesn't go away um, at all. So uh, NCAA's coming up. USA's coming up. We'll have Worlds after that. It's a, it's a slow week this week, but uh, the news has not been slow. And then after this week... Uh, the racing gets really ramped up with NCAAs and a U.S. championship that will determine who's going to the world championships, which are in the United States for the first time since 87. That's a lot of words. Taylor, how's it going? <laughs> uh, pretty good. Yeah, like you said, kind of a down week this week with college and pros not racing. But next week is going to be totally crazy with USAs and NCAAs in the same weekend and pretty much the same time in terms of the scheduling, which we – uh, figured out in our content meeting this week. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'll be at USA's and you'll be here managing all of Ooh, the crazy. That's a daunting. That's a daunting task with, uh, <laughs> you know, USA's and NCAA's going on at the same time is uh, going to be enough for me to uh, overdraw my account with Starbucks purchases, I think. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of stuff. It'll be a great fan experience, though, to have both going on. If you're a fan, you can have NCAAs going on, on the computer, and if you have another computer, you can have USAs going on at the same time. Uh, should mention that we actually are going to have a guest today. I'm going to actually bounce out at 2.30, but our man Joe, who uh, runs the ship of some of our content choices, that's a weird way to say that he's the content director here at Flow Sports, he's going to jump in and join you, Taylor. Uh, Dathan Ritzenhine coming on the podcast. You know, he had that disappointing marathon, but uh, he's planning on a little something for this summer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, news came out yesterday from M Live that uh, he's planning on trying to make the Olympic team on the track, um, kind of similar to what he did in 2012. Right. And, you know, had to, you know, everything had to come together on on the day at the 2012 trials. He had to hit the A standard and the 10K and finish third, and he was able to accomplish both. And it was a really big day for him back. Four, four years ago. I can't believe it's been four years. It, it's gone quick, that's for <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, he's going to try and make – obviously, he didn't make it in the marathon a couple weeks ago. He's going to try it on the track. So Yeah, it was a disappointing day for him uh, to have to drop out. He hadn't dropped out in 12 years of a, of a, of a race period, so it was, it was very surprising. Uh, look forward to hear what he has to say. He's not going to leave it up to the Olympic trials uh, to, to try to get the standard, though. He's going to try to either get it at Peyton Jordan – or maybe somewhere else. I think Peyton Jordan was the one he has circled yeah, to try to get under that 28-minute. So the standard is not as quick as it was four years ago. I mean, I don't see any problem, even Dathan, four years later, and not having run a track race since even 2013. So it's almost going to be a two-year gap for him since running his last track race. I, I, I wouldn't think that's going to be a problem. Uh, you know, it, it, it adds another inter interesting factor in for that 10K with Dathan there. You know, Galen – you know he's going to be there, and uh, guys like Hassan Mead and Ben True, he may not run, but it's going to be tough for him to get top three, but you definitely can't count him out. And, uh, you know, it's cool to see him get back, get right back. He said he's, he's training again on the indoor track at Grand Valley, so look forward to hearing what he has to say. Um, bunch of news, as I said earlier in the at the top of the thing. I think the biggest thing uh, coming out was 2013 world champion Abiba Aragari. Aragawi, excuse me. Uh, she <laughs> tests ten times fast. Yeah, right. She, uh, you may not have to. She may be suspended for for a bit here. Uh, she 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 tested positive for a new drug that is just now in this beginning of the year uh, become illegal. I'm probably gonna blow this up, but meldonium, which is a heart drug, I believe. So uh, yeah, she tested positive. She's a 2013 world champion in the 1500, just ahead of Jenny Simpson, and then she was the 2014 world indoor champion and she almost won that race race by seven seconds now the field wasn't as strong but take that if you will uh she's never had a prior drug uh positive test um you know a lot of the pros reacting to it nick willis he tweeted when he when jenny got second 
um, in 20, I think this was a telling, telling thing, obviously Nick Willis. So, uh, outspoken against the doping crisis in track and field said he back in 2013 when Jenny got silver he told her congrats on being a world champion so clearly he and others do not believe that the doping has just started this year for Aragawi we have no way to speculate if not uh but no I saw that tweet it, that yeah. was really interesting and Nick has kind of been um lately extremely vocal with the whole doping crisis so it wasn't surprising that you know he tweeted something like that but and then Jenny came came back with the yeah. reaction, um, which I also thought was interesting. Um, yeah, it has to be weird for her because, you know, obviously she, uh, you know, Jenny won in 2011, um, and then she got second to Aragawi at Worlds in 2013. And then this year, Aragawi, um, you know, clipped her shoe, right. her left shoe coming around around 700 meters into the final in Beijing this year. And, uh, you know, Aragawi finished sixth. Jenny finished, I think, 11th. But uh, it's interesting that these two runners have such a like history competing on an international stage, yeah. and for the news to come out on Aragawi this week was pretty shocking. Yeah, and so th like I said, this drug, it only started being, it was on the WADA's uh, band list just starting this year. She could have been using it all throughout her career uh, to help aid performance. I'm not well-versed in what exactly it does. Obviously, it, it, it improves some function that, uh, or why else would WADA ban it? Um, but uh, not only was she banned, but the 2015, his name escapes me, but the 2015 Tokyo uh, Marathon winner also banned for the exact same drug. And to a larger point, Ethiopia is coming out in the news that they're about to be hit with several doping bans. You know, you got to wonder if some of the big names are going to get hit. And the biggest name of them all, Jinzebe Dababa. I, we can't at all speculate, but the, you, you wonder as these names continue to are, are rolled out. These are pretty big names. I mean, you got a world champion and then a major marathon winner. Uh, you know, if this is just a start, we could have some very, very big names coming out of Ethiopia. Because so far, they had kind of been spared, it seemed like, with the Russian news going on and with Kenya now Ethiopia coming in and uh, two big names hit with doping bands. Uh, Aragawi, her B sample could come back and it could be, <laughs> it could be proven that this was, it was a bad test. I, I, that rarely happens, but um, man, you just want to hope you hope to clean up the sport and uh, the, and for those wondering, you know, the likelihood it's tough to say at this point, if, if her B sample comes back, uh, if this is her only test that she failed, I, I don't think you know Jenny's gonna get get ever get upgraded to the 2013 uh, gold medal. But uh, so for for yeah, that, yeah, it's hard to say right now. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I don't know. This is a very interesting time to be. I I was uh, explaining this to my uh, family when I was home for Christmas. Yeah, did they just ask like, you why that you, you know, do track and field? <laughs> just you know, talking about like um, the state of track and field, and you know working in the sport in this sense and um you know i was saying it's a it's a really interesting time to be working um in track and field especially sure. this year you know obviously with all the like doping news um you know russia getting suspended as a as a country um we'll see if that lasts who knows we'll <laughs> see if that lasts to the olympics i don't know go ahead um but but yeah and then we were talking earlier about you know how uh um, just in, in the past, it's been like, you know, a lot of times it's hearsay and people talking about it, but there's no proof. And then, you know, someone races and they win. And then it's a couple, not till a couple years later when, you know, they finally get, get popped. And now, you know, the game is changing. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's great, you know, for this stuff to get exposed because the athletes on the circuit say that they can see the athletes that are that are doing it the right way and that they're not, I guess that's the, the way to put it. Um, you can tell that the athletes that are, that seclude themselves from the others, you know, that's awfully often a great indication. So for the fans to kind of, to uncover this in 2015 and now bleeding into 2016, has just been, um, a, I don't know. It's been a year uh, for, <laughs> for unveil unveiling stuff that, uh, we kind of knew was going on in the periphery, but to have it exposed is, is, is two steps back before we can go forward. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's important to clean up the act and, uh, all this out of competition testing that was able to be avoided by some of these countries. And, and hopefully it gets improved through all these, uh, the exposing of these drug cheats moving on, uh, 
Dennis Mitchell, the the highly controversial former the relay head of uh, USA Track and Field, is no longer a a new rule put in that this recently by I think it was just maybe a few days ago uh, by a USATF executive committee along with the AAC um, saying that a coach that coaches there you go a coach that coaches a athlete that is has the potential to be on the relay pool cannot be the coach of the relay squads which would make sense however it's kind of it, the timing is interesting I mean so he's Gatlin's coach uh, it it just it it's it seems like to me it's it's a rule put in place to push out Dennis Mitchell who's been controversial of course his athletes served two doping bans he served a doping ban himself not only that but uh, Mitchell hasn't been able to correct the errors of the men's team as they continue to have problems moving the stick around the track. Um, do you have any thoughts about Dennis Mitchell not being the, uh, the relay coach anymore? Um, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, part of it is just an effort for, uh, USATF to just kind of like clean up a little bit. You think? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't entirely surprised to be honest, given yeah. like, what's been happening this year. Um, I mean, and it makes it, the rule makes sense when you it, really think about it. You know, he coaches Justin Gatlin, who's an obvious candidate to be on this relay team. Yeah. Um, I mean, he you know, should be on the relay team. He's this, the fastest guy yeah, we have. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, like the, the idea that there could be some bias there in selecting, you know, an ath- athletes for these teams, it, it makes sense. The rule makes sense. It makes sense, but it, it, uh, it just seems like it, 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 toes that line of seeming like wow that's a way to push Mitch- mitchell out the door and uh you know he you know the usatf can do what they want they could have him there if they wanted i, I don't know if this was a we, we won't know if this was a way to push him out or if this was a, a truly it probably serves two functions in my opinion it, it allows them to to rid themselves of him and then it also is it 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 stands there as a as a as a fairness rule so it's it's interesting uh maybe i don't know who the new coach was gonna will be but uh hopefully it's we need to figure out on the men's side how to win a medal or how to how to beat the jamaicans because we've had trouble even finishing the race uh, of recent years so anyways moving on uh NCAA entries dropped and uh as i wrote yesterday the biggest shocker coming out at least on the men's side uh, Cheserek only entered, entered in the 5K and 3K. Would Oregon be insane enough, I use that word in the nicest way possible, to put him on the DMR 25 or 30 minutes after finishing the 5K? Do you think they would do that? Um, I, I do think they would, but at the same time, it's really not that much time. You know, when Galen Rupp did it, he had, I think, over an hour. Um, when he did the triple, right? Uh, the schedule has changed since then, and and Chaz would have uh, what did you break it down to? About thirty minutes, less than thirty. From when minutes. he and so the five five K starts at eight oh five. You think he finishes at eight nineteen? Gets a uh, you know a fifteen minute cool down slash warm up. He's at eight thirty five. He'll get the stick for the DMR at eight fifty. He would have fifteen minutes essentially to. So you have to pick up his stuff, go cool down slash warm up. I mean, it's going to be a tight window. Uh, I, I, I'm of the opinion that he's going to do it and uh, because I think it leaves too many points on the table to only have him do uh, the, the 5K, 3K. I was shocked, shocked that he was not in the mile. And it, I think the crazy thing, as I point out, is, is all the people that it seemed like thought he was going to be in the mile. I mean, Isaac York's is pulled out of the mile to focus on the DMR 3K. Sean McGordy does the same. Knight is only in the 3K. Now, I know Justin Knight said at the beginning of the year he was only going to focus on one of it, but I think a lot of people were expecting to just find to find Cesarek in the 3K, having run, being now running his fourth race because the mile prelim in the final, and that's where a lot of guys flocked so they could try to get Cesarek as his, at his weakest. But as it stands right now, he's just in the 5K, 3K. Will he enter the DMR? I think it's going to be a game-time decision. I just think that uh, the team right now that Oregon has is not strong enough to win. And if you add Cesarek on there, even coming off the coming off the 5K, I think that gives them definitely gives them a group capable of winning. I think they should would win. Um, so I, I think they got to do it. Florida's right there. I mean, Florida has a good team. Gordon laid it out in his team projections. If Florida performs up their capabilities and Oregon keeps their current entries as they are right now. I mean, they could be in trouble. That's why I think there's no way, noting what Oregon did last year by putting Cheserick in three events, even when they didn't have to, 
I don't think there's any way that he uh, isn't going after the 5K DMR 3K, which is going to be massively entertaining to see him finish the, the 5K, which I don't think he'll have any trouble winning considering he ran a pretty easy 1335. I'm talking a lot again, but uh, it's just that quick turnaround is going to be incredibly enticing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I think it's it's for sure possible. Like you said, you know, they didn't necessarily have to triple him last year, but they did um, just to have more insurance. And, and it obviously worked out really well for them last year. Um, yeah, this year it was really, really interesting to see um, what the coaches came up with in terms of placing their athletes in certain events. Sure. I think everybody kind of had um, similar feelings where, you know, they wanted to, you know, put the focus on the DMR. It's a very fun event. You know, it's exclusive to indoor. Um, and it's going to be extremely interesting to see what some of these top milers end up doing on that anchor leg. It's going to really, really come down to the anchor leg. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, it does. It tends to just bunch up in that anchor leg, even no matter what. A, a, what There's nobody that's so much – there's no team that's so much better than any other team that they can run away from anyone when it gets this deep. Um but this has been the best year of the DMR in history. Uh, the NCAA record wasn't set, but something like seven teams broke 928, which is absolutely insane. For the first time ever, only one team that ran 930 qualified for the DMR. 930, I remember just a year ago, uh, I was talking to Dave Smith at Alex Wilson. This is in 2015, and uh, his team wasn't going to run there, uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. They weren't going to run because they had run 930, and he said 930s never not made it. And uh, for the first time ever, only one team ran 930 could made it. The rest of the teams had to run in the 920s. Yeah. Which, it, it, you know, it's it's just insane, the development of middle distance talent. And not just that, the talent, but the the amount of talent spread out throughout throughout the country. But, uh, you know, it's a fun event to watch. But this year it's going to play a very important role in, in determining the NCAA champion. So uh, it'll be one to watch. On the women's side, you know, Gordon's done his projections, which g g generally are very accurate uh, with, you know, he breaks it down. And uh, Georgia, Oregon, Florida figuring to be very, very tight in that team battle. And uh, probably the equivalent of Cheserek on the women's side, Kendall Williams of Georgia, the, the multi-athlete also doing, I believe, let's see, the, the long jump. And one other event, I have to, I'd have to check that. But if she can get 30 points, that's going to go a long way for incredible. Georgia. The story with the Bulldogs, they don't have anybody in the running events. They, it's all in the field, which is, as Gordon said, it, it's completely unprecedented. I mean, no team has ever just won an NCAA title with just field athletes and multi-athletes. That would be absolutely insane. Yeah, no, it speaks volumes to their multi-program there. Um, very, very stacked in the multi-events. And yeah, it is crazy that that has never happened before. I mean, you got to have runners, right? You want to have people yes. in there. You would think you'd want to fill out with some sprinters and some and some uh, distance athletes. But Georgia, uh, they've kind of gone all in. I mean, you 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 build your team. Obviously, I'm, it's not that Georgia doesn't recruit these people. It's just kind of maybe that's the way their their coaching staff is, leans toward. That's the strengths that they have, and that's how they've been able to recruit and the athletes they've been able to get. So they got to roll with the punches. That's what they have. Uh, but it you know it's kind of a, a mirror image of what Oregon was able to do last year in the men's side. I, they scored some points uh, outside the distance events, but I think 70 of their 74 points were scored in the distance events. Georgia now trying to do it all in the multis and or field events. So, whew, I mean, that's going to be tough. Florida and Oregon should offer a, a really stout challenge. Um, but we shall see. The women's battle, I think, figures to be a lot tighter than that. I think, I think the men, as much as I'm – loving to stir up controversy by thinking <laughs> that Oregon really needs to get in and, and triple Cheserek. Uh, I think Oregon, as long as they follow through um, with, with their guys, they should, they should collect their third straight title. One thing I want to ask you, though, Meg and I previewed it yesterday. Seidel versus Ostrander round three and four coming up next weekend. Uh, you, you've been out there to see – I think you saw Alio run twice this year, right? You saw her yeah, in the 5K and 3K. Yeah, and 3K. Uh, give, me, give, me your, give me your take. Who you, who you like in those two races? Oh, it's so tough. Um, well, you know, obviously Molly has, has historically been better over Ali, but, again, they haven't raced that many times. Not a, not a very much uh, history. Yeah, not that big of a history. Um, but I – oh, gosh. I don't know because Ali – I mean, Allie was impressive in both the 5K and 3K, sure. but um, her 3K specifically was extremely impressive because, you know, we re-watched re it this week, 
And just because I knew she had kicked against um, the athlete from Toronto, and I cannot remember her name. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's okay. But uh, Canada forgives you. Yeah. Um, but she and this uh, girl from Toronto were just like neck and neck for the final 600, 800 meters, really. But it wasn't till like 400 to go when both of them uh, went together. And the athlete from Toronto made a big move on the backstretch of the final lap. And I kind of, and this girl has like, I think, 204 speed for 800. Right. 407, 1500 speed. Yeah. So she's, no slouch. She's fast. She's not, no slouch at all. And I thought, oh gosh, like, I don't know if Allie can kick with this girl. She's got major wheels. And Allie just like went for it. She like yeah. passed her on the home stretch, like went wide on her and just like threw down that 854. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I didn't know she was, she had the those kinds of wheels. And I think um, in a race with Molly, I think that's going to also provide the same kind of like tight competition that I think Allie thrives on. I, I think it's going to be interesting in the 5Ks the first night, which is great. Um, they, you know, that's the event that they figured it would be their Each one would be the best at. I mean, Allie, uh, great in cross country. Obviously, Molly, great in cross country. She's the reigning 10K champion. So distance is her strength. Uh, I would say Allie definitely uh, the the better chance to beat her maybe in the 3k just noting her speed however uh Allie you know running two events first in NCAA indoor championships as a freshman you know you never know how she's going to come back uh it all depends on what happens um that first night you know um but it's been great to see like Molly kind of emerge this past year I mean last year at this time in indoor you know she was obviously at the NCAA championship placed pretty well but you know and then went on to outdoor and won NCAA title really shocked some people sure. and has just been, you know, like being uh, just, she's like a different runner now in, sure. in the span of, you know, less than a year. It, it did seem like when, when she won that 10 K title, it's like a, a, a switch just flipped for yeah. her. And it, it, it it's, in, it's been incredible to watch these two athletes develop. I mean, Allie just right off the get right off the gate of, of college essentially she was you know she ran well at griac and then she exploded at wisco and then she's just kept that going and ke- continues to surprise us uh we really don't know how fast these girls can go in this event both of them looked easy when they ran their 15 21 and 15 19 that's ostrander and seidel in the 5k I, I i do think if the if the pace goes out hard which i think it will um i think we could be in for a collegiate record at the ncaa championships which would be outstanding uh absolutely incredible stuff um so who knows? I mean, we just it it's going to be entertaining. I said yesterday, I think that whoever wins the 5K will have the advantage in the 3K. So, uh, any other NCAA observations, entries, anything for you? Any race you're excited to to see yourself? Uh, well, we talked about the men's DMR a little bit earlier, but I was able to talk to Isaac Yorks um, oh, yeah. yesterday, just kind of get some thoughts on you know a couple days out from his really crazy mile, and then heading into the NCAA championships and um, you know, I was asking him like, oh, okay, you know, what are your goals for NCAA? It's just like lay them out. Sure. And he was like, well, we want to win the DMR. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but he also said he thinks the collegiate record can go down. In the, the DMR. In the DMR. Woo, that would be interesting because that race is generally, you know, tactical. So NCAA final in the DMR. Uh, woo, that would be, you know, that that is surprising news to me. I wouldn't anticipate 920. What is it? 925 something. Go, I think. Yeah. Uh, Texas that. has had it since 08. I can look it up here. Um, I mean, it's it's not out of the question. Like certainly Oklahoma State um, ran. Let's see. Oklahoma State ran. I think 926.6 earlier this year. So it, it's not like 925.97 from 08 is out of the question. It's just that that log jam of so many good teams on, on a small banked track, it makes it difficult when you have, like I said, this historically fast DMR. Could it break the collegiate record? Sure. Will it, though? I think I think the anchors will slow it down. Um, and Isaac, as you were saying, you were telling me this earlier, Isaac didn't really want to say what leg he's running. We all anticipate the, the, the new American indoor collegiate record holder uh, was going to be on the anchor, which, which could set up an anchor between him, McGordy, Possibly Cesarek uh, coming off running 3.1 miles. Uh, also, I mean, there's other guy Brandon Kidder coming in there. Possibly Jordy Williams. I mean, it 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 could do that. I don't anticipate it doing that. Uh, somebody will slow it down, and uh, you know, we'll see. But th- th- there there's definitely collegiate records to watch out for. I mean, Raven Rogers maybe in the 800 could go under two yeah. minutes. First time in oh NCAA history, uh, she ran ran two minutes at the Milrose Games. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on some other ones, but it's, I didn't really realize how fast she ran until, you know, cause she, I think finished fourth in the race and, and I was, I was like, Oh, that was pretty good race for her. But I didn't realize how fast she went until I looked at the times after. And I was like, Oh geez. Yeah. I mean, we haven't, <laughs> we didn't really talk about it too much, but the, the 800, I mean, the ladies that were a couple of ladies that were injured, Raisler and Ajay Wilson, you know, right back in fitness. They, it's obvious you, you anticipate Rogers, um, running the Olympic trials this year. I mean, the amount of of depth that the 800 women's 800 is going to have. You got to think we're going to get Olympic medals this year. You got to cross your fingers that somebody's going to be peaked at the right time. These talent is going to be healthy, you know, but with Wilson, with uh Raceler, with um Brenda Martinez, I could list on and on and on and Alicia Alicia Montana. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to, you know, the a, a USA final is going to be similar to to an Olympic final uh, in, in, as far as the quality. So, it's going to be a tough team to make. But getting back to uh, Raven Rogers, yeah, the Ducks, the women are going to be counting on, on her to get 10 points there. And Not she's only her. I mean, they got Annie LeBlanc, Brooke Feldmeyer. Right. They've got a whole slew of really quality women's middle distance runners. Yeah. Um, yeah, big opportunity for points there. Yeah, I mean, w- with Rogers, she's two and a half seconds faster than everyone else, maybe even more. Uh, so you got to figure that she'll take the victory there. Uh, you know, a lot of people focus on the uh, – just the individual aspect of track but it is interesting how people strategize to try to get points to try to win these team titles and i think the biggest thing coming out of the favorites of of, on the women's side and even on the men's side too uh when you have florida on favored on both sides or you know favored to do well to contend for the title both the men's and women's teams from florida they got fourth at secs it just shows you the incredible difference there is between uh conference meets when there's a lot more scoring opportunities for teams that don't qualify athletes to NCAAs as opposed to the, the limited scoring opportunities there are. Uh, it's cra- it just shows you how crazy track and field is, that you can you can be blown out at your conference meet and then contend for uh, for an NCAA title. Well, uh, it's been fun talking to you. Time's gone quick. It is almost 2.30, so I'm going to step away. Our man Joe's going to come on, and uh, Dathan Rinsenheim is about yeah. to be on the podcast. So thanks so much for having me i would say thank you so much but i guess i'm technically the host so i'm gonna get out of here uh but thank you so much and we'll be with dathan in just a second hello hey dathan it's joe battaglia and taylor dutch how you doing hey joe hey taylor how you doing good how are you (laughs) doing good Sweet. Well, hey, thanks. For, are we uh, on air already? We are on the air. All right. Just making sure I didn't say anything, you know, stupid then. <laughs> no, we want we want you on your best behavior, Dave. Dathan, come on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. I uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, touch base post trials. Um, I know that was a kind of a rough go for you. Um, but you know now you're turning your attention to the track uh, and trying to make another Olympic team on the 10K. Can you just you know kind of start by telling us what uh, the last several weeks have uh, have been like and trying to regroup uh, after the marathon trials? Yeah, I definitely didn't think that I would be thinking about busting out the spikes again anytime soon. Uh, I kind of thought that that was uh, maybe the thing of the past, but. Um, Unfortunately, yeah, the marathon did, it didn't go well, so um, had some had a, quite a few problems, and just I mean, I was really more in shock than anything um, at the time because uh, it's really only the second race. It's only the second race that I've ever dropped out of, and so um, you know, I just that was something that was as much of a shock as not making the team or doing well um, either. So, uh, but I. I you know, after the, after the initial shock wore off, you know, it really was only a day that, um, you know, I turned, was able to kind of turn my mind around and say, I got, I want to go for the track for the 10 K. I, I just, I didn't want to sit there and, um, you know, sulk about it. And so I think you you do need a, a good day to, 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 to sulk no matter what, you know, if, if things go wrong. But after that, it was just a matter of turning, you know, turning my brain on to, get myself ready to go fast again and, and on the track. And, and so, uh, so, you know, I, I, I did take it, you know, some downtime though, uh, that next week took about, 
Uh, I took four or five days off. I, I did jog a little bit, but then got in some light training again um, the next week. And this week I've been feeling pretty good again, and I've actually been able to do a, a decent workout in the long run. And um, But, you know, I feel focused now at least. I know what i got to do going forward. I mean, I've been in this position before, unfortunately. Um, but uh, that's also a good thing. I guess I know how to get there as well. Yeah, I, I, jumping back to uh, to L.A., I know – in talking to you the day before the race out there, you were you were fairly confident, um, especially um, you know coming off what you what you said was a, a really solid training block. Um, can you take us through the race and uh, you know where things sort of you know started to go wrong and you know what you know was going through your mind at those points? Yeah, I it, I was really yeah. We talked the talked a day or two before, and I was really confident. Uh, I felt great, actually. I mean, I know I didn't have a very long buildup of training, but I was generally, you know, I had a, a little hip problem late in the fall, but, um, I mean, I just, it was pretty minor. So I was not thinking that it was, uh, you know, that it was that bad because I was able, once I got into the training, I mean, I was kind of, I didn't really lose much of anything and felt really good with where I was at. Um, but nevertheless, it was a shortened period of time, but, for a good, uh, yeah, six, seven weeks, uh, you know, before I started to taper down, I had really the best training that I'd had in years and, uh, workouts were great and volume was good. And so coming in though, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to make any excuses up so that, um, so, but just to kind of set the stage with where my brain was in those days, I felt good in training, but, uh, I had strained like, uh, my neck <laughs> really weirdly um, two days beforehand and it was something that I uh, you know it's just kind of one of those things where you like sleep wrong you know and but I couldn't turn my head to one side and this was the morning that I uh, was leaving to go there and, and so that rattled me a little bit because it was really painful actually but um, you know the day before I was able to get a, quite a bit of work done on it um, uh, the two runs, you know, the days, the days before, including my shakeout were really quite painful, <laughs> um, running and stuff, but, um, I got a lot of work done and, uh, on it. And, uh, Justin Whitaker, it was, a um, he's a physio a chiropractor that I've used to work with quite a bit. Um, he's out there. He, he helped it a ton. I mean, like 80, it was like 85% better. Uh, but it still hurt me, you know, warming up a little bit, but I didn't feel it at all in the race. But, it, you know, it, it did rattle me a little bit because everything had been going so well that I was – it's like one of those things, you know, in the days leading up to it, you, you don't touch any doorknobs, you don't – you know, if anybody coughs around you, you you know, you avoid them like crazy. And so it was just kind of one of those weird things. And so it rattled me maybe a little bit. But then as soon as the race morning was there and, and warming up and everything, I didn't, didn't even think about that. Um, and so I – but anyway, I get into the race and – I felt good, like, to start out with. I didn't feel like it was too hot. I didn't feel like, uh, you know, it was warm, but it didn't feel oppressive, and was the pace wasn't too fast. And so um, just kind of settled in, and I kind of got into the front at one point just because I couldn't see much of the first loop going through uh, the USC campus. It was, like, turns and uh, and curves everywhere. I almost fell, I felt, I think, a couple times. So I just wanted to kind of be able to see the next time around and kind of like right after that coming out of there at about nine, 10 miles, I started feeling my calf start twitching, you know, like in, and cramping and tingling a little bit. And I've had that before in other races, but it's always been like 20 miles or so in and, you know, I kind of been able to maintain fine. And, um, but this just, I was, I was a little rattled at that point too, because then all of a sudden, you know, it was so early in the race. So I just tried to really be calm and, I was able to keep that at bay, but it just progressively got worse, you know, but was still tolerable till, till pretty much when the race, you know, took off and I, to try to accelerate that pace, it just, you know, it was like it started spasming the muscle, uh, in my left calf. And, um, and then, you know, it was just, I was, I knew I was in big trouble at that point just because it was 16 miles in already and I didn't feel bad, but I couldn't respond to the pace without my calf cramping up and uh 
So I try to just maintain, you know, I'm thinking, because I've been able to do that before in a couple of races where I've had it start, and I've been able to kind of bring it back, you know, calm it down after a couple of miles and just able to maintain. But um, by the time I hit 20 miles, it had moved up into my hamstring. It was all down the left side, um, which is kind of strange in the past of, you know, it's always kind of been bilateral. And so my left leg was not working. It felt like it was just kind of like misfiring basically. And, uh, so I was, you know, actually really just devastated coming through it at 20 miles. I actually coming up the end, uh, the, of the third lap there and at about, uh, 18 miles or so, Diego Estrada was back there with me and I knew he was having a bad day because he didn't go with him move, but, you know, I really wanted to drop out already at that point, you know, at about yeah, 18 and a half miles. And he came back and he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to drop out. This is, this is, this is not going good. I'm, I'm, uh, his hamstrings were done or something, but he said, you know, he says to me, you're, you're my hero. I, I'll get you back up there. And he came back and he tried to leave, you know, tried to get me to kind of close the gap back up. But, and so I was like, Oh God, I got to keep going now. You know, <laughs> he kind of, was like I felt guilted into it and so I tried to keep going I tried to drop an out right there I tried to make it back around thinking maybe I would still get things under control but I came back by the finisher um area uh, just 20 miles and I started to go out onto the last lap and I was like I'm gonna hurt myself here at this point um if I keep going for another six miles and so then I was just yeah I peeled off after that and it was just I was just shocked and really just I couldn't believe it more than anything so I didn't know that uh, Diego did that. That's that's kind of cool that he said that in the middle of the race. It was, yeah. I mean, he he knew you know he was a he was a contender going in, and you know he knew that it was you know it, that it wasn't going to be his day either. And but he came back. It meant a lot to me, really, because I just uh, I was I was trying so hard at that point, but knew it wasn't happening. And you know he made me go another couple miles. That's for sure. I know, uh, you know, obviously having to uh, to drop out, um, you know, is is a disappointment. Can you can you compare, you know, what your emotions were like um, in in LA to your emotions four years ago in Houston when you were so tantalizingly close in fourth? Um, is is there any comparison? Um, I guess there there the only comparison I could say is that. This time, I don't know, not that I got over it easier, but there I was, you know, it was that eight seconds and um, I was coming back and I was trying everything I could and, you know, I still ran okay. I still ran, you know, 209.55, you know, but I fought all the way to the end and it was like one of those things where um, there was more heartache than, um, that I guess, at that race than um, just bewilderment at this one. This one was... Um, I put a lot into it, I guess, this one as well, you know, but this one, it was more shock, I guess, than that, like that time it was more heartache. Um, and so that, that would be the biggest difference. Um, uh, and so coming off of it, I had ran that whole marathon. I was beat, you know, like I was tired and beat up and it had been a year, you know, it'd been three years since I ran track. My last track race before that was running the American record around 1256. And so it just seemed like so, such a, insurmountable task to turn around and uh and try to make the team in the 10k and it felt like that for months as I was trying to get back into it whereas I guess this time I got over it because I hadn't beat myself up I mean I had to sprint through the airport the next day and uh to try to catch my flight uh for like a mile and my Nike freeze uh was probably I think I broke all the all the junk loose from the day before but um I just I I I came off of it good and you know mentally I guess I came off of it a lot better um because uh, I think the biggest part is maybe just knowing that you know it it seems so hard and so insurmountable in 2012 and I look at it now and it's probably harder than then even I mean the you know, American distance running is harder and stronger and uh, I'm four years older, but I guess I've done it before. And uh, so it doesn't feel like it can't be done maybe. Whereas last, last time it was, you know, there's the thought that that just seems so hard to do. And now I feel like I've been there and I've done it. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'll do it again. I'll be able to do it again, but I know that I can do it again. 
right? Like, you know, four years ago, uh, the the 10K standard was what 27.45. This time it's uh, a little bit slower, a 28 flat uh, for the A standard. But uh, as you as you said, you know, distance running in in the U.S. is is a lot deeper than it was four years ago. Um, yeah, have you have you prepared yourself? Are you starting to prepare yourself, you know, mentally for the fact that, um, you know, while the time may be slower, you know, the going might actually be tougher to get uh, in the top three. Yeah, it's it's always hard, I guess. <laughs> so it's I'm never prepared easy, for that, I mean, you know. But on, yeah. <laughs> no, but the 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 ones, yeah, that is a huge uh, advantage for me for over last time is that it's. Uh, uh, that 28 minutes is, is uh, a lot easier to obtain than uh, 27.45. And uh, last time I had planned to run Stanford, you know, the hard thing is there's just not a lot of 10Ks. And so if you don't run Peyton Jordan, then, uh, you know, you're kind of searching. And for me in uh, 2012, I had a little minor foot thing flare up, just, just happened to be two weeks before, you know, right before Stanford, and I couldn't really – do Peyton Jordan. So then I was scrambling to find it and I had to go to Hengelo, which is usually um, great weather, but I got there and it was 80 degrees and they, you know, and it was horrible out, which was like a freak day in the Netherlands in, in May. And, uh, and so it was, it just, you know, like I just missed those opportunities this time, 28 minutes is definitely a lot, um, a lot easier than 27:45, but at the same time, uh, the competition being as strong as, as it is, um, that's going to make it hard at the race. But if I can get that standard, I would rather have it, uh, you know, like that as opposed to, and just have to worry about getting top three as opposed to 2012, where it was a matter of having to lead the race and having to get the standard at the same time. And, and so if I can, if I can take that monkey off my back, that, that definitely helps my chances. Yeah. I mean, you know, having not being able to get the standard before the 2012 trials back then must obviously the toughest way to do it having to leave it to one race but um I was actually an intern at flow track when I was able to go to the trials and watch you run that and I remember how epic that was um for you to be <laughs> able to accomplish that every all of those things in one race so um it, it I, definitely is one of those things you know like you get the time it it sucks <laughs> you know, and the whole lead up going up to it sucks, but it's one of the most memorable moments that I have still. And so sometimes things happen, you know, I don't know if it's for a reason, but they happen. And, uh, and yeah, that was one of those times. Now you, I know you, you, a little bit ago, you, you said that you weren't anticipating needing to, uh, to, to put the spikes back on. Uh, you haven't run a, a track race since what worlds and, uh, Moscow in uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are the what are the inherent challenges? Uh, you know, from you know going a such a long stretch uh, without you know running a track race and doing mostly road stuff to then you know needing to you know put the spikes back on and uh, and make that transition. Well, you know, for me, uh, I guess it's the exact same situation as 2012. It's been three years. Back then, it was three years. Um, and I was I ran really well in 2013, um, and uh, I ran really well in 2009. Um, so the only difference is maybe I have one month less um, of time to the trials. But the way I train now is maybe a little bit more. Um, I basically I've been healthy the whole year. I mean I had a little bit of a hip injury in the end of this year, but it really was hardly anything. Um, so relatively I've been healthy for a year and a half about, um, whereas, uh, before in 2011, the year before I was, I had three surgeries, you know, two surgeries, uh, on my Achilles and one on my foot. And, um, I mean, I didn't run for, uh, for six, seven months, you know, that year. And so I, I have a better base coming off of it. And, uh, also, my training going into uh, this trials, the the way I train now for the trials is a lot different than I did before. A lot of a lot of hard VO2 type intervals, so it's easy for me to get back to that level um, of of training. The only the harder thing is I probably can't run quite as fast as I could at you know 200 meters and 400 meters, but 
I can run just as fast for, you know, a, a workout like 10 times the K as ever. And uh, I'm, I'm closer to that point in my training already. So between that and the fact that I came off of this a lot better, not beat up, having stopped at 20, and uh, and where I where I was at from the year before, I feel like uh, I feel like I still have a really good chance. And um, you know, some so a lot of people, you know, I, I like my agent for example asked me, well, what do you want to do afterwards? <laughs> Immediately afterwards, I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do, uh, but. It was, you know, I thought, do I turn around and run Boston? Um, but I knew that if I didn't try for this uh, for this Olympic team and the 10K, that I would regret it. I mean, I would be sitting there in August thinking I, I, I could have made it, you know. And so I just, you know, I can always run other races, but uh, the Olympics only come around. Those opportunities come around so rare. Uh, I've been fortunate to make three teams, but um, but I, I if I watched the you know on on July 1st and August uh, I don't know August 13th or whatever it is if I sat there watching and didn't try to make the team uh, then I knew that it would be something I'd regret. Have you have you started thinking about um, time? What kind of time you think uh, you need to be in shape? Uh, at the trials to to make this team, you know how close to how close to your your, your twenty seven twenty two PR do you think you need to be, you know, uh, you know physically to to crack the top three? Yeah, it's a hard. You know, it gets harder every year because the. Uh, I mean, we're light years of where we ahead of where we were um, as a country twelve years ago, and when I first. Uh, became a professional athlete. It was easy to walk on. You know, I made that Olympic team in 2004 by hobbling my way uh, through a broken foot and just finishing the race because no one had the standards. So now I don't know how many people have a standard, but a lot more than I want to even think about counting. So uh, at this point, you know, I think it's just a matter of getting myself as fit as possible. And I know that most of my teams have all been in the 10,000. I've made three world championship teams and two Olympic teams. Um, and it was three years ago. I was really fit in track. I mean, I ran 1309 and pre and, um, I was, I don't feel like I am so far off from being able to do that stuff. And at 10,000, uh, it's a mentally, it's so hard in the laps from 15 to, uh, to 20, you know, three those laps are so hard and i think that's where i've always excelled uh and so if i can get myself in shape to be able to be strong through that point of the race um yeah i don't hopefully i don't have to kick down in 54 seconds but uh if the strength can come through then hopefully i can pull out a little more magic and give it one more one more lap around uh hayward there and and close well and if that's the case then hopefully be on the team but it's just uh, I can't think about having to do the same workouts that I used to do um, either, and so I have to know the the balance between um, what do I need to do to get there and what uh, what do I need to you know what what do I need to to do in the meantime you know so I, I don't want to over race I can't get on the track like I used to maybe as much uh, from a racing standpoint um, I, I'll have to obviously do things beforehand but I definitely have to. I have to make it a little bit of a different path still, but no matter what, I have to be so fit uh, that I that more than three people don't uh, don't beat me on that day. What uh, I'm curious about uh, your thoughts. Uh, I know after after Galen won uh, the trials, uh, immediately the you know the the focus and talk, um, or a lot of the talk shifted to um, the the potential for an Olympic double um, and. Uh, Galen even left open the possibility of running the five at the trials and then making a decision between a 510 track double or a marathon 10 double. Um, what, do, what, do, what do you think about uh, you know, uh, his, possib- his chances um, of a, a, a 10 marathon double in Rio? And um, you know, how does you know, his you know, sort of plan um, you know, impact, you know, guys like yourself and, you know, many of your other peers who are, uh, 
you know, looking to uh, grab one of those three spots in the 10K? Well, I try not to think about it like, uh, you know, the fact that what if, like, maybe he didn't run the 10K. I think he should focus on the marathon, and I hope he does because that makes it a lot easier to make the 10K. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if I, if I, you know, like, I just think that he, uh, the outside potential is greater in the marathon, really. Um, so, and it's, it's, a, it's hard to come back at, you know, the marathon is hard, you know, like so much can go wrong. And so if you're not prepared specifically for that, it can be very difficult. And, um, so a 10 K marathon double, absolutely it could be done, but can it be done to the point where, where one of those you're ready to be the best in the world on that day, that's a different story. And so, um, but I am not thinking like maybe he won't run that and does the 10 K and you can be fourth and still make the team or, you know, Ben true, you know, he made the five and the 10 and the world championships last year and uh, opted out just to do better in the five. So once you start thinking like that, you know, then, I mean, people have brought that to my attention, but I still, you still gotta be, if you are top three, you make that team. You can't think that someone else is going to jump out and, and, uh, and, and take a, take just a 5k or the marathon either. So, um, yeah, if I were him, I definitely would just stick to the marathon now. That'd make it a lot, a lot better for for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with thinking selfishly. Um, what did uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, also about your thoughts of uh, you know some of the you know the the reports that came uh, in the in the days after the, the the trials about you know how athletes were treated. You know, Pat Rizzo's blog was uh, was was pretty outspoken. Um, you know, how, what were your thoughts and, you know, how were, how were things from, as an athlete, from your perspective? Um, I, 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 I sympathize with Pat. Maybe I did read that. Um, but I also understand the reality of the situation. I think that they could have done, there's things that could have done, been done better. Uh, there definitely needed to be more water on the course. That was uh, a big problem, I think, uh, considering, uh, the placement of the water um, that was out there, but um, it, in all fairness to the event, to uh, you know, they the, the I, I sympathize with people getting into the into the event, um, but I think that it, it became such a big event that it was hard to manage in the, in a uh, the way that anybody else has before either because there was 400 people pretty much. And so the size of it was just so big. And so there was absolutely things that could have been a lot better um, with the, with the organization from an athlete standpoint. But at the same time, it was a race all on its own. That's, you know, this very, I, I think that the challenges that, that the race went through with the, the amount of participants and stuff, it, it escalated too. And so, um, not shift any blame off anywhere or to do give on due blame somewhere, but um, it was uh, it was a probably a very different from the previous uh, trials as well. Has the trials just gotten too big? Like, do we do, does USATF need to change the standard and you know make it a less of a participation a mass participation event and more of an elite event and trim the field size down? I mean, four hundred people between you know men and women is substantially large when you're considering that it is the olympic trials i don't know yeah it's, it, i think if if they want to leave it that size then maybe they should consider going back to how it was in 2008 where they split the men and women from a different base uh, that might help uh reduce the um the strain on whatever race helps to put that on um you know, otherwise, yeah, I, I think I think back to like 2008 when we had it. Uh, the men were in Exodus 07 because it was uh, at New York that year, and the women were in Boston uh, for 08. Uh, and it was much smaller, um, but you still had quite a few people in the race. Uh, it was a much bigger production uh, from that standpoint um, when you put the men and women together the next year in Houston, and then uh, with having the fields another. I don't know, 30 or 40 percent bigger this year. Um, it made it a lot, uh, a lot of a strain. So they, I think that there's a better way to do it. I just, 
I guess I don't know what if it, it kind of depends on what direction we wanted to go. I mean, I was sitting there having dinner after the race with uh, Greg Meyer, and he's like, I think they should just make it open to anybody who wants to run and pay, whoever wants to pay $5,000 can get in and, and run the Olympic trials if that's what they want to do. And so maybe that's a, uh, something they could do and they could raise a bunch of money for charity or something like that. But in some capacity, I think it can be done better. In, in, in terms of uh, the conditions, uh, I mean, you, you, you ran the marathon in Beijing, which was about as, you know, hot and sticky as, uh, <laughs> as, as a marathon can get. How, how do you compare the conditions in L.A. to, to what you experienced in, in China in 2008? Oh, it was so much worse in China. Um, <laughs> it, it was you know, 80-something degrees at the start of the race, I think. I don't know. I, I remember it being just dripping right from the start. And it was humid, you know, so humid. Um, but, uh, you know, we went out crazy fast. I think I was 63.30 or something like that at halfway. Um, and so there was a complete, you know, it was the same thing. It was a death march, you know, like basically people dropping out left and right and you're passing people that are walking and it was just, it was the same kind of situation. I think maybe this was maybe more, a little more sneaky hot. Um, just because it didn't feel hot, you know, it was dry and I would throw water on my head right after our drink stations, they had water bottles. I'd throw water on my head and within a mile, my Jersey was dry again. And so, um, but I, you know, I got done also and I had, you know, only been out there for, you know, a little less than two hours and I, uh, had a pretty substantial sunburn, uh, when I got back as well. So that was, you know, I think that snuck up a little bit. Um, and you know, that, you know, that that's probably something that um, I don't think I underestimated it at all. I think most people thought the heat was going to be really bad, but they probably, um, it just probably snuck up a lot easier than, uh, like at the time, it, 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 I mean, we went out so slow. I mean, it was, I don't remember what we were at halfway, 6630 or something like that, but I was three minutes faster in Beijing uh, through halfway and, you know, held on and ran, I don't know. I think just under 212, you know, but that Sammy Wendrew ran 206.30 that day. So you can run well in the heat. It's just, you know, and it's it's going to obviously impact the times, especially in an event as long as the marathon. But, um, but uh, you know, I think that the course was very, was twisty and turny and stuff too. So uh, that slowed times down as well. It wasn't just the, uh, um, the weather conditions either. So, um but as a comparison to Beijing, oh man, I don't know. I can't imagine running a hotter, more humid marathon than that. <laughs> what are your What are your thoughts on the uh, on the on the loop type courses? Do you prefer point to point, or or how do you or do you like the you know, the loop formats that we've seen now at the trials in in Houston and LA? I like it. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's for for a race like that. It it does you know, it does bring a lot of people into a, into a smaller area. So it feels a lot, you know, a lot more exciting. I mean, my favorite one was New York because I ran well, you know, in, in 2007. Um, but it was even smaller loop. It was, uh, you, we started in, uh, uh, had a couple miles up to the park and then we had a little loop and then we were doing 8K loops instead of 10K loops. And uh, I, I just really liked it. I thought it was, it made it feel really like exciting every time you come around and um houston was similar you know it was like you come through each time and people could see you a lot you know people could get out on the course but they could also go back and watch on the big screen and um from a fan standpoint i think that's pretty cool it's pretty exciting um you know wrapping it into like some people think maybe wrapping it into a bigger marathon like a major marathon and just doing it as is would be cool i think that would be absolutely cool too but um there's something about having that loop course. I don't know. It just makes it feel more like a, when you're in it. And, and I think from a spectator standpoint, if someone wants to actually go to the race, that makes it a pretty cool experience. What are your, what are your, your thoughts on uh, the ageless wonder that is Meb and uh, you know, the consistency um, that, you know, he's able to show regardless of, you know, race circumstances, conditions, whatever, um, you know, making a, a, a fourth Olympic team at 40 is pretty damn impressive. Oh, he is the master. It's just incredible. I mean, so what he's been, you know, like 
and even in this race, uh, you know, like going in, I definitely did not underestimate Matt. I thought for sure he was going to be very good, but I was still surprised at how fast and how well he ran, you know, like cause I think that, that course was pretty slow aside from the heat. Um, and I was just like, and so I, I kind of did the math afterwards and I was thinking if he was on a good flat course in good weather, I don't know. I don't think that that changes as much for Meb as it does for most people. I mean, Meb is just like, uh, you know, an anomaly. He can run as well in bad, crappy conditions uh, almost as he can, I think. And, you know, like he's just as crazy as PR is what it is because he's so uh, incredible in all those championship races. And, you know, like uh, whether or not he would have ran at some point, you know, 205, I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because he knows what he's doing in the, uh, when it counts on a championship or a major day. Uh, and so, but to run 212 and make a uh, make his fourth Olympic team at 40 in those kind of conditions, just incredible. When you when you, when you look at the guys that that are going to make up this team with with Galen, Meb, and uh, and, and Jared, who uh, again in hot LA, you know, got it done two years in a row. Um, how do you handicap their 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 chances uh, in Rio? I mean, obviously not knowing you know what the you know, composition of, uh, you know, the East African teams and, uh, and such, but do we have legitimate medal contenders on the U.S. squad? Absolutely. I think probably every one of them, really, uh, men and women even, really. It's just like you just don't know what's going to happen in, in the Olympics or a world championship marathon. Like, it's just not the same. When you're not in there and there's not any pacemakers and – um, you know, they pick the teams far in advance. It's not like, and you only have three guys from Kenya and three from Ethiopia, you know? So it's like, you know, just, you know, all those things, if you're smart, like a guy like Jared, you know, ran exact same splits, you know, for the race, you know, and, and he, he's very methodical, you know, like he could be a kind of guy to swoop up and, and do that. Med's been second and fourth in the Olympics, even though he's 40, uh, he's running as good as he was four years ago, I think, and he was fourth. So that's not that far off, really. And then Galen, obviously, I mean, you know, the upside potential is so huge there. And from the women's standpoint, I mean, it's it's really the same thing. It's like you got such experience with Shalane and Desi, and then um, and then Amy is, you know, found found a great rhythm, you know, and I think training with Shalane, and it's, it's been huge for her. So. It's just an exciting team. I think that, you know, especially if the conditions are hot and humid in Rio, it just plays for uh, plays for a good chance for, for all of them to have a really good day. So, you know, looking at the, uh, at the you know, next couple months, you uh, you excited for this uh, challenge ahead and, uh, you know, trying to get uh, 10K shape and, uh, you know, make another team? I, I am excited now. I wasn't a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> But uh, the the fire is there, you know. It's I'm ready to do it. Um, I think the biggest thing is there's, you know, I, I just I feel I feel excited when I go out and train again, especially this week. And so um, I did one you know fast little thing on the on the track, and and it was just kind of you know it was like one of like almost like a nostalgic type feeling, and I just I enjoyed it. So it's you know it's going to be a hard battle. It's going to be an uphill battle for the next you know, three, four months here, but, um, I'm just going to keep chipping away at it and I'm going to keep enjoying it because, uh, that's what I've been doing so far. And, um, and I feel good and happy doing it. And so no matter what, I'll, I'll know that I gave it a good shot, whether I'm on the team or not. And so, yeah, I have, I have other things to look forward to after. And I just, I've had a lot better outlook uh, than I did maybe like four years ago. And so, um, I'm not dreading this training going into it. I'm just going to do it and do the best I can. And, um, try. That's all I can do. Is try my best. All right. Well, hey man, we're uh, we're looking forward to uh, to following you along. Uh, you know, the next couple months, we'll uh, we'll be seeing you live on Flow Track at uh, at Peyton Jordan as you're trying to get that A standard, and uh, we'll certainly be out there at the uh, at the trials. Uh, you know, as you're uh, racing to make that fourth team. Um, so, Dathan, thanks so much for for joining us this afternoon. Appreciate it as uh, as always, and. Uh, Best of luck, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you out there. All right, sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dathan. Yep. Well, Taylor, what do you think? I'm pretty fired up. I'm excited for him. 
think uh, I, I mean I having having seen Dathan and and known him for a long time and you know know how he prepares and and knows know how he races he's gonna he's gonna approach this you know very smartly um, I you know conditions uh, are are, gonna, are always perfect at Peyton Jordan um, you know the race is fast. Um, you know, everybody and their mother is going to be there trying to, you know, run an A standard. So, you know, you know, the race is going to go out, uh, you know, at pace. You know, I, it would not surprise me to see him run the A standard in, in May. I, I don't see him, you know, coming out of Peyton Jordan um, in a situation like he was four years ago where, you know, it's all or nothing, um, yeah. you know, at Hayward at the trial. So, um Sanford does a really good job of setting quality pacers up, and Peyton is always delivers for fast 10Ks historically. So, um, yeah, that'll be a good place for him to him to go for it. Well, sweet. Well, it was uh, it was a lot of fun being able to jump on the podcast again. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, it's been uh, a few months, um, you know, and always great to talk to Dathan, and uh, have to do this again uh, sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for, for listening, guys. Um, you know, look forward to uh, more great coverage of uh, indoor track at NCAAs and uh, flipping the script pretty quick to, uh, to the outdoor season. And before you know it, that Peyton Jordan, uh, you know, 10K is going to be here. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for listening, and uh, we'll be back with another podcast real soon. Sounds good. All right. Going to leave you with an uh, embarrassing song that I've been listening to all day. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, loved ones. Let's take a journey. <laughs>